Welcome to the Call to Farms podcast, a place where we explore the journey our food takes from farm to table. I'm your host, Tim, along with my wife, Sophie. Hi, everyone. And together, we hope to inspire you to connect with your food, embrace a more sustainable way of life, and rediscover the joy of nourishing your body and soul. Today, we are talking about food marketing and raw dairy from ice cream, butter, and yogurt. This is one of my favorite topics because it makes me think about growing up (laughs) and ice cream was one of the only things that actually made me smile. Do you remember when we first got married and some some of our very first arguments was centered around food? Yes, I remember very clearly. (laughs) Who knew, right? Psychologically, I associated food with happiness. And I remember when you talked about how I should reduce my consumption of ice cream. I took it as you stealing my joy. What I wanted to talk about, though, was ice cream was such an important thing for me. And I know growing up, it was the way that I would bond with my father. I believe you had a similar story, right? Yeah. When I was growing up, my parents worked several jobs, um, sometimes simultaneously. And I grew up with my grandparents who lived around the corner from our house. But it was when my dad would pick me up from my grandparents' house, he would always drive around the corner, the other corner, to take me to Foster's Freeze. Rain or shine, my dad had a cup of coins in there. And I remember being able to pick out 83 cents Mm -hmm. and counting it and running into the store, grabbing a single serve ice cream. Then we would go home. Those are very fond memories that I have with my dad because it's it wasn't something that I did with my mom. He was, it was fun, <laughs> and it was something that we bonded together. That's what dads do, and that's mm-hmm. such a good story. You you have such you have the biggest smile on your face while you're telling me the story, and I think that's great that you had this special moment with your father every time. Same thing with me. My father would always scoop ice cream every night, and regardless of whether or not I had a good day or a bad day and got in trouble. He'd always end the evening with ice cream. And so it was always a special time. I also remember when we would go to the barbershop and um, right when we walk right outside after getting a haircut and be a Baskin Robbins. And we'd always, he'd always treat us, m- me and my brother, with ice cream. So very special. I know this sounds a little bit of privilege, but we used to go to Disneyland every year. And after the fireworks, before we would leave in the evening, we would stop at the Gibson Girl. And it was like a family tradition to get a waffle cone ice cream. And that was really special. I bring this point up because ice cream has always been... It's the center of yeah, our story. It's the center almost. of our story, really. I mean, we I mean, we even opened up our own frozen yogurt shop in Albuquerque. I that's mean, right. That's, that was our very first small business. And that was... Our second. Our first was the wedding photography Wedding photography, business. that's right. Well, I guess that was more mine <laughs> than it was yours. But. Our first brick and mortar, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Our lives have always been centered around ice cream, but I also wanted to share a true story. When we were talking about getting married, that was a really challenging time in both of our lives because I was deployed for 18 months. And in the middle of that deployment, we were trying to plan our wedding. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was not like what you would see in a movie. It was not picturesque, even our own even even the way that I went had to propose to you wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like we watched Top Slip of the of, Empire State Slip Building in Seattle, right? And mm-hmm. these these movies that Hollywood <laughs> makes it out to be. And I wanted to be romantic, but I remember when I asked your parents to have your hand in marriage, they said that it had to be in front of them and had to be in front of my parents because of traditions. Mm-hmm. And and I thought at first, like, that kind of takes kind of the fun out of it, out of, like, the surprise and not taking you to, like, a special place, but it would have to be, like, in front of both of our parents. And so struggling with that, we have cultural differences. You know, Vietnamese, you come from a Vietnamese background, and I come from a Chinese background. And and I actually thought that my parents were very progressive because I'm second generation. My dad was, like, a a long-haired hippie in, in Berkeley, and he was born in Chicago. He so was. he was first generation, so same as myself, first generation. Yeah. He uh, was. Born in America. And you're second generation. I am second generation. So I thought that they would be very 
open to who I would choose to marry. But I didn't realize that, believe it or not, even within the Asian culture, there mm-hmm. is a a hierarchy system, if you will, or uh, there's some sort of... It's like a caste of, system, an unofficial caste system, like many other Asian cultures, there's, unfortunately. There, yeah, there's racism within our own culture. I know um, many of you who, who listen to us, and if you enjoy comedy, there are some really good Asian comedians, and we, we laugh so hard because what they say is true, and one of them actually says that... It's Ali Wong. That's right. And I actually saw her live in San Francisco. (laughs) But one of the, I don't know what they're called, but one of the things that she said was she's half Vietnamese and half Chinese. So she said that she's half fancy Asian and half jungle Asian. (laughs) So you can guess which one's the fancy side and which one's the jungle side. We'll let you, the audience, decide. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So needless to say, it was a really challenging time, not Yes, because of the deployment, but going through the whole planning and getting both of our parents on board of us getting married. It was definitely challenging during that time because you got stuck in the um, bush when he said we were going to surge in Iraq in 2007, 2008. So a normal deployment is 12 months yeah. and you are gone for 18 months. Yeah, My parents and my family rather were not supportive at all. Um, I actually hid from them for a year from them that we were even dating because you were in the military, regardless if you were a West Pointer or not. They, you know, I think in our culture, you either become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or you marry one. (laughs) And uh, here I am, you know, marrying someone who's just not in the mil- not only in the military, but also about to get deployed for 18 months. And, and there were some difficulties, you know, for us getting started um, on the right foot. So uh, the silver lining of all of this, though, is everything that we've gone through since we look back during that time. Yeah. And we kind of compare even even down to like homesteading or making a big move across the country. We always go back to, well, it isn't another deployment. It wasn't like that time because that was the low, lowest time of our lives. Yeah. At least it was for me. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, it was definitely a challenging time. But the reason why I brought up the story is because just even asking my parents to be okay with asking for your hand in marriage, I remember I reminded, I had to remind them, and this was talking on the phone while I was in Iraq and calling home. I had to remind them, mom, dad, don't you remember that growing up, I, I never really smiled. I was always so serious about life. And the only thing that really made me smile was ice cream. And they acknowledged that and said, yeah, you're right. And I said, but Sophie makes me smile. And she's going to make me smile for the rest of my life. And I need you guys to be okay with me asking, asking her uh, to be my wife. And that's what did it. That's what convinced them. So, I mean, there's a lot of backstory and the emotions were running strong at that time. And I had to bring the story up because what really cut the ice (laughs) literally was this bond that I had with my father with on ice cream. And so he knew what I was talking about because we had so much history because of ice cream. I know it's just, it sounds silly, but I really have a deep connection with uh, <laughs> this food well to lighten it up why don't yeah. we share about how we used to go grocery shopping for ice cream well i mean it's i mean well i mean i'm thinking this is very logical when you go grocery <laughs> shopping the very last thing you pick up and put in your shopping cart is ice cream because it's going to melt i mean back then we didn't have those fancy bags that would keep things cold so i would pick it up at the end right and rush home and then put that away first in the house yeah right and you would leave your wife and kids in the car (laughs) with the car running and you would drop the ice cream off in the freezer (laughs) you would just literally run off i'm saying you know does anyone like to eat melted ice cream that gets re you know that gets solidified again it just doesn't taste the same it's just icy it's no the consistency is not correct (sighs) anyways (laughs) in my family we would have ice cream and then when we would take it out of the freezer we would stick it in the microwave to warm it up that's 
as a sacrilegious. I can't, I can't even fathom how, why, why would you do? Well, even now, like, cause we know the effects of microwaving, but that's why the would only, you nuke your ice cream? That's the only time that we use the microwave. I kid you not. We only use it to warm up our ice cream. Yeah. And I remember going to your house and your parents would uh, take ice cream out and then they open it up and it was like half eaten. I was like, Oh yeah. No. I mean, what no, are you going to no, do? No, no, buy no. another one when it's not finished? Absolutely. I would, if I had it's guests over, I would valuable freezer show you space. brand new ice cream. It's like. <laughs> I remember that. I remember this well, because you know, we had guests over one time when we were early married <laughs> and you went and bought more ice cream, like a fresh one. Said, oh, Why sorry, would you like, do that? You don't, you don't serve your guests a half eaten pie or a cake. Oh gosh. So you need a fresh ice cream, fresh carton of but ice cream. it takes up valuable freezer space. Don't worry, I'll eat it. <laughs> it won't be a problem. Oh, why don't you share that story about in West Point? You didn't have a freezer. Oh, yeah, we didn't have freezers back then. So I had to eat the whole pint. One pint of Ben & Jerry's. whole pint of Ben & Jerry's. Now every time I see it, well, I, would, I can't, but I just think about you eating the whole thing in college. Well, my, my metabolism was great back then. I could have a large pizza and a pint of Ben & Jerry's and... Be fine. See, these are questions that I yeah. should be vetting <laughs> before we have we before we got married. Now you had me take some uh, psychology tests. It right? was the MMPI. Yeah, nobody else takes that. Five hundred sixty-seven questions. Most girlfriends give their boyfriends things that quizzes, like quizzes you see on the Cosmo magazines. Okay, they don't have to take up what MMPI. Was, yeah, it's yeah. for me to assess you, and diagnose me, and diagnose you. Awesome. And I was in grad school for yeah. clinical psychology, so. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Well, we open up You tonight. passed the test. Well, I, clearly, I guess I did, huh? I never did get the results of that test. I have it somewhere. Still classified. The reason why I wanted to talk about this is because we've come so far from ice cream because the ice cream that we enjoyed eating back then, we discovered they've been lying to us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they've been lying to us about a lot of things regarding our food labeling laws and how they market for food. What about it, though? Because you told me the other day, some of my favorite ice creams, there is a hidden chemical in there. I can not believe it. Right. Propylene glycol. With the FDA, there's a labeling that's called GRAS, which is generally recognized as safe. And propylene glycol is antifreeze. Propylene glycol is antifreeze, and it there are so many harmful side effects of of consuming antifreeze, and it's loose bowels, diarrhea. It's used to clean out the bowel before surgery, um, for conventional colonoscopy preparation, even. But whenever I tell folks this for the first time regarding their ice cream, mm-hmm. and I don't just like open up in a new conversation. Hi, friend. <laughs> yeah. But guess what you're eating? When I tell folks this for the first time, they have trouble believing it. And why is that? It's because propylene glycol isn't listed anywhere on the ice cream labeling or the ingredients list. It may come as a shock to some of you listening. There is such a thing as a quote unquote industry standard. Hmm. And it means that if everyone does it, you don't have to label it. And you can look this up. So if, if you're needing more specifics, look up the USDA Reg 21 CFR 101.100, and it deals with labeling exemptions dealing with incidental food additives. Oh, that's interesting. If everyone's wrong, then it's okay. How can they possibly want to harm us? Mm. Well, these commercial ice cream manufacturers make a practice of adding just a little bit of antifreeze to their ice cream. Mm. So then it doesn't have to be labeled. And you probably are wondering, and I remember you asked me, why are they putting antifreeze into the ice cream? Yep. Well, let me ask you, what's your favorite thing about scooping ice cream? Well, I love the consistency. I love that the ice cream, I can make a perfect ball with it. And uh, I remember growing up, Briars was, they had this little kid, this little cute kid on a commercial saying, and he was reading the ingredients in the back of the carton, and he could pronounce every ingredient. Mm-hmm. And I was that that made me think a little bit. Like, wait a minute, why do they have to? Why does he? Why do they have to point that out? Does it mean <laughs> the other ice cream manufacturers have chemicals in them? 
But this little kid would read out the ingredients. So I made my dad say, Dad, we need to go out and buy some of this peach briars ice cream. <laughs> and he did. And I remember I was so disappointed because it was really clumpy. You could not make a perfect scoop with this ice cream. Right. So that's that's the problem with mm-hmm. kind of the homemade ice cream if you you know, haven't figured a workaround around it, or even with briars that uses more natural ingredients, it becomes hard and it's it's hard as a rock and becomes clumpy when you try to scoop it. So these commercialized ice cream manufacturers add this propylene glycol, which is a cosmetic form of antifreeze, which lowers the freezing point so that it doesn't have that hard as a rock feeling when the ice cream when you scoop it. Hmm. But also all those ice crystals that would form as it's shipped long distances and moves between uh, the different freezers before it finally makes it to your supermarket, that that prevents that from forming. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the reason why I rush home from the supermarket (laughs) and put it in the freezer. I don't want those crystals forming. (laughs) Okay, well... Well, now we have a better solution. And let's talk about that. Raw milk. Raw milk. This is how you convinced me to bring home a dairy cow. Like you convinced your dad to marry me. You convinced me to bring home a dairy cow by saying that I could have all I can eat ice cream. Mm -hmm. And I I remember I convinced you by saying, hey, honey, you should try this out. Yeah. What do you think? And you, your initial response before you even tried it. No, thanks. You I'm, thought it was going to be subpar. I think it's going to taste like junk because I'm like, no, this is going to be like make-believe ice cream versus my favorite ice cream that I can buy at the supermarket. Well, one of the things about raw dairy products is there's an enhanced flavor to it that's completely natural, nothing added to it. Mm-hmm. Um Raw dairy products often have a richer and more distinct flavor compared to what you'd buy in the grocery stores. It's not grass flavor. And it's not <laughs> cheese. <laughs> it's definitely not. Wondering. Yeah. And, and so all of the natural flavors and the aromas of the milk and the cream are preserved and it provides a more enjoyable and honestly a authentic and probably more traditional tasting experience that we've lost throughout the last few decades since commercialized manufacturing. Yeah, I know we, we make vanilla ice cream in that I love vanilla and it's so simple to make too with the ingredients, Mm -hmm. very basic ingredients. Our kids make it all the time uh, and I love it. Yeah. In fact, our kids made it right before they left for piano lessons today, made it in a hurry and we had it for dessert tonight. Yeah. I actually (laughs) snuck in and ate like half of it beforehand, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, I like the fact that they can be creative too now because now that we have a good solid base of vanilla, they can experiment and try out different flavors. And for Valentine's Day, do you remember what I got you? It was Ben and Jerry's recipe book. Oh, yeah. For ice funny. cream. <laughs> <laughs> ben, yeah, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And we made the Cherry Garcia. That was your we favorite. Did. Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah. And it was close. It was close. It was, hey. It was pretty it was good. Pretty good. Okay. It is pretty good. But the one thing that I tell you and the kids and mom and dad with ice cream for dessert and something that I have never felt before with eating ice cream is I'm literally telling you guys, you can lick every drop from the ice cream and I am not going to stop you and I'm going to actually feel pretty good about it because you are eating literally raw cream. Raw cream. Fresh from our grass-fed cows. So what's the difference then versus... Say frozen yogurt because we owned a froyo shop, and I remember when we put in the froyo shop, we put it in right next to a Whole Foods because that was the trend. It was healthier. No we're, fat. We, we were going to put yeah, no fat. We were going to put Baskin Robbins and Cold Stone, you know, out of business because we're coming into town. We're going to introduce a self-serving froyo put your own toppings on it, make your own creations, and it's super healthy for you. Yeah. So we, we actually opened up the frozen yogurt shop before we realized that the food pyramid is an inverted pyramid. Yeah. So for everyone listening out there, do you remember the food pyramid growing up in public school? I sure do. 
I mean, do you remember at the base of that pyramid, it was bread and grains and cereals? Mm-hmm. Like, we had to eat more of that. And as you move, work your way up the pyramid, like fruits and vegetables, but it was, got, it was really small, to the very top where it said fats, oils, and salts. And even like some of the dairy products were up near the top of the pyramid. They just eat a little bit of that because that's going to clog your arteries. That's going to cause cholesterol and ultimately give you a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Well, they also said for us to eat less of meats and wild caught fish and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and all of that needs to be taken into consideration. We need to take into consideration like how things were raised and grown as well. Exactly. So like our grains and and the most nutrient dense way to be eating our grains mm-hmm. and soaking and fermenting and preparing our grains before just eating white wonder bread. And that's what we were that's what we grew up with I because that. that's what it said on the food pyramid, unfortunately. So now we know a little bit now we know a lot better. And with raw dairy, we're able to keep and retain the nutritional value because raw dairy products are not subjected to the high temperature pasteurization process, which can and does destroy beneficial enzymes, vitamins, and minerals. And so as a result of that, raw dairy products retain their full nutritional value, including essential fats, vitamins A, D, and K, and enzymes that aid in digestion. All of this, I remember when we first got married and you were at your last duty station in Albuquerque. Yep. We went to go visit one of your coworkers who lived in the Tejeras Mountains. Mm-hmm. They had a large family of eight and it was my very first time I tried grass-fed raw milk. And yeah. it was the very first time I heard of, you know, this this homesteading lifestyle. The wife took me on a tour of the homestead. I didn't know what a homestead was. Right. And um, she brought me inside the house and said, hey, here's a glass of raw milk. And I didn't even ask for it. I did not want to try it. You didn't want it. You gave me that look like, let's go. (laughs) You know know that look, you know, when your spouse gives you like, all right, party's over. Gotta go home now. (laughs) We were young and very close-minded. Foolish. (laughs) Very foolish. Yeah, I just, you know, I think you kind of have to go through the things we go through. We thought they were crazy. Like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? And yet, God placed them in our lives. And I wish I remembered their names and that we could go and reach out to them because they were light years ahead of us. (laughs) Right. Well, we didn't know that. She handed me this book, this big yellow encyclopedia-looking book Mm -hmm. called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. And she said this book changed her life Mm -hmm. and her family's life. And she, she gave it to me to take a look at. And I flipped through it expecting pictures or at least illustrations and i didn't see any of that nope because it truly is an encyclopedia with incredible information and if you haven't checked it out you definitely need to because it has changed our family's lives but almost independent from this field trip that we went to because i completely forgot about that book after that because i just i didn't think that the lifestyle was for us yep we came from the Bay Area and our usage is our conveniences. So it didn't make sense to me why you would have to own a milk cow when you can just go to the grocery store. And I remember when you were pregnant with our first one and we were buying milk and paying more for the milk that was labeled organic and Omega. Had or Omega, DHA. DHA, it had DHA. Added DHA for brain development. Yes, I'll pay more for that. We were duped <laughs> now that we know the truth. You're right. I wish we knew then what we know now. And I wish I really looked into the importance of what was in our food and knowing exactly where our food came from. And I think that's what she was trying to tell me, but it just went over my head at that point because Mm. it just wasn't important until I had my first child. And all of a sudden now her life became more important than mine. And it really made me focus into what I was gonna put into her little body. Because of that, I needed to know where every ingredient was coming from and how it was raised and with love and intention too, but that's that's where we are today. But ultimately, I wanted to know where the, our food comes from and we make all of the ingredients ourselves now or we know where the source of the ingredients come from. 
the only way that we can truly know where our food comes from is if I can put my eyes on it every single day. Mm-hmm. If I'm tending to it every single day, I know how much love and care I put into raising and growing our food mm-hmm. and the intention behind it, how we process or how we harvest our food and then how we cook our food. It's a closed loop circle. I know, and everything, we don't waste anything. It all goes back into the land that feeds us and the soil that feeds us. So our food, our, our ice cream now, our <laughs> sounds silly, but our raw dairy, our raw milk products like ice cream is more nutritious. Raw milk is a living food and it contains more beneficial microorganisms vitamins and minerals. Back almost a hundred years ago when technology wasn't what it is today, it was nearly impossible to refrigerate and distribute that much milk in an efficient way. Because of this, alongside poor hygienic conditions, raw milk was making people sick. And the answer to this was pasteurization. And through the pasteurization process, they the the milk gets heated up and kills all of the microorganisms in the milk. But with that, unfortunately, means that it kills all of the good stuff along with the bad stuff. And so heating milk has remained the standard practice with pasteurization. But when raw milk is handled and stored properly and you know exactly how the cow was handled and cleaned and the milk is stored, Mm -hmm. uh, raw milk can be both significantly more nutritious and healthy. Raw dairy actually contains natural enzymes that aid in the digestion and absorption of nutrients. There's actually the lactase enzyme that helps break down lactose, which is the milk sugar. And maybe the reason why some people who are or who were lactose intolerant or have difficulty digesting pasteurized dairy can have raw dairy because there is the lactase enzyme in there that breaks down the lactose. And so when we make our ice cream, I really feel like it's truly the best ice cream in the whole world. And we have it on tap for mostly free. Cows eat the grass. We do feed it some extra minerals and supplements and things like that. But for the most part, it's Mm self-generating and it's not something that you can buy in stores. You cannot buy raw milk ice cream in stores. While ice cream is typically considered a junk food, I really beg to differ because, you know, what we put in it in our ice cream, like raw milk, fresh egg yolks, um, our local raw honey, I prefer to think of it as more of a super nutrient dense treat that I am happy that my family's eating. Yep, that's music to my ears. So this is amazing because what a journey from the time we were introduced to that family, my coworker in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to being introduced just by chance, it seemed like, but maybe it was providential that we was in, we were introduced to Sally Fallon's book, to where we're at today with three dairy cows. Who knew? <laughs> we're from the city, and here we are with three dairy cows. You really love your ice cream. I just asked for one cow. Love it that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, in addition to the fact that it's delicious ice cream, having a dairy cow is the centerpiece of homesteads because this was another fun fact that you told me that really convinced me as well was the fact that the dairy cow, one dairy cow, just one, would be able not only to feed our family, but also feed all the animals and all of the livestock that we had just in case. If the price of feed goes up, which it has, Mm -hmm. the price of food goes up, which it has, Mm -hmm. which is why we now we have, I'm a big believer of redundancy from my experience in the military and having contingency plans, which is why we have three dairy cows. You and I were both born and raised in San Jose, in the heart of Silicon Valley, the tech hub of the world, I would argue to say. I have worked at startup companies and Fortune 500 companies and have led optimization and marketing strategies for these companies and grew as quickly as I could. 
and always optimizing for the best experience with our products for our customers. When I came home from work, though, it was impossible for me to turn that part of my brain off. And so I was constantly, as part of my personality too, always looking for ways to make things more efficient. And when it came to our health after we had kids, not just our health, but our family's overall health and well-being, I started to look into how do we optimize the way that we eat. Not so much about eating as quickly as possible, as much as I mean about how do we get as much nutrient-dense foods in for us, into us and our family without that much cost. And this is the lifestyle that we live today, much to you know, it's it's much to the opposition of the culture of technology where convenience is key, where we have our groceries delivered to us from DoorDash, Instacart, Whole Foods within the hour. And although I would argue to say that going out to the backyard and harvesting all of our vegetables and going out to the freezers to grab our meat is a lot easier and faster and more economical than how we were living before in the city. I'm glad you brought that out because a lot of people would say, well, that's great. You can raise your own animals and raise your own fruits and vegetables, but that's for people who have money and have more time. And I like that you said that it's actually more economical when you do the math, you spend way more if you're shopping at a whole paycheck and these other grocery stores, natural food stores. And at the end of the day, you don't really know if you're really getting what they're advertising. Right. In our first few episodes back in 2021 of this podcast, I had taken our oldest to Polyface Farms. We listened to someone from the USDA who came and spoke about how the food labeling laws work. And specifically, the thing that really jumped out at me was the fact that grass-fed beef can be labeled in America as grass-fed beef even if the cow had only one blade of grass in its lifetime. Ultimately, when Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods, that was the day that I realized that organic may not be as organic as we think. And if we truly want organic or the quality of food right. for our families, we're going to have to do it ourselves. Yep. And and it does not need to take a lot of money and it does not need to take a lot of time because we still both work full time. We homeschool, we have businesses, and we still have time to talk to each other on this podcast. But ultimately, it's about living intentionally. And how important is that for you? How important are the things in your life to you? Yeah, it's about setting those priorities. And both partners need to be on the same page because even just getting into homesteading, that's something that I had to get on board as well because it's something that you did the research ahead of time. You were the ones because that's the way that you mentioned how you optimize and did some of that research in terms of nutrient-dense foods mm-hmm. and you kind of pushing us down, our family down this path. And I was still of more of this world of, no, I, I'm going to do what my parents did. I want to just get a a good stable job, work my way up the corporate ladder, provide for my family, and go on vacations, go to Disneyland every year. Like that was the American dream for me. And going down this journey, this path, which has been at a pretty quick pace, has been such an eye-opening experience for me. Now, even we were just talking about in our last episode, I no longer crave like, when is that next vacation? When When are we gonna plan the next vacation? Because What's the whole purpose of going on vacation? The whole purpose of going on vacation is to create lasting memories with our children mm. that they will never forget. And I remember when we were moving out here, we stumbled upon these photo album books that you made for those times we went on vacation. And those are really nice to look back on. But today, just like how you mentioned, we we took our daughters to a polyface farms. That's what we live for these experiences, Mm -hmm. these workshops we take them to because we want them to gain these life skills that they can apply today. They don't have to wait and grow up to become some somebody. They can today make a change for the better, for the world, for themselves. They don't have to just wait. 
and be fed a job. They are going to become producers instead of consumers. And now we seek out these experiences so that we can help add more, like what we say in the army, more tools in their toolkit. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we're creating memories together as a family. Right. So we're accomplishing what we wanted to do as a vacation, but we're doing them in different places, on farms, on at, at people's at workshops, and we're exposing our children to these life skills that our great-grandparents knew, and it has become a lost art over the years mm-hmm. because of the matter of technology and convenience. Right, right. There's a cost to technology and that convenience. We pay a very hefty price for that. But to your point about our family, I don't want the listeners out there thinking like, oh, gosh, if we homestead, we're going to have to give up our vacations. It, it just looks a little bit different, right? In the same way that I feel startup founders and farmers, the way that we look at our lives and problems in the business or on the farm, we still attack the problems with a lot of grit and determination and a resolve that's very similar the only difference is it smells a little different sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, we still go on vacations and we make, you're right, to your point of having these experiences with our children and creating lasting memories. One of my favorite memories is camping out with our oldest daughter just a couple months ago and learning KNF, which is Korean natural farming, mm-hmm. with her and a group of other adults that she was able to interact with and have conversations with and get hands-on training. These are lasting memories too. It's not just going to Disneyland or Disney World and eating <laughs> eat, eating um what is it? A, a Mickey chocolate ice cream bar. These are the skills that is going to benefit them now and in the future. Right. And I want to make sure that for while we have them I can say that I taught them how to learn. Hmm. That's good. So with that being said, they have met some really incredible people. Joel Salatin, Sally Fallon. <laughs> yeah. And they're watching how mommy and daddy talk and interact. And amongst all of our other friends who live in a very similar way and share the same values. That was something that was a challenge in the Bay Area. I really felt like we were the ugly ducklings that didn't really quite fit in. But I think the way that we view life, and I think it's just different because we started different. Our marriage, Mm -hmm. just we started in a deployment, like, you know. As a military family. As a military family. So everything... What stresses us out, we we have a different tolerance level for stress. We do. And I want the kids to have that. I love this because it's been 12 years in the making. This is not something that we just did overnight. And this whole journey of asking questions and just going through this food journey and understanding how food is indeed medicine for our bodies. It can be medicine for our bodies, right? But I'm super excited because you have some really big news. Taking all of this knowledge and this experience, learning from the best, and incorporating what you've learned from Weston A. Price principles with the foods that we make at home and combining recipes from grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been a dream of mine and a vision of mine. It's crazy for the, at least the last decade, at least 10 years now. Mm-hmm. When And I know exactly where we were when I bought my very first thrifted piece of a plate and I and I remember going okay well one day I will write down recipe mom's recipes and one day we will we will write a book together or we'll write a start a blog I just knew that something I was I was going to take pictures with her food and for the last 10 years you get frustrated with me but I will go to a thrift store and buy thrifted dishes because they're because in my head i I can see it used as um, props for a cookbook after taking some time after my last job in September, Mom and dad uh, they're just getting older, their memory's starting to wane yeah. a little bit. You 
said to me, because I said, well, should I take a break? The, the thing is, when I work at a company, I work for about 80 hours a week, nonstop. In fact, when we moved out here a year ago, I didn't even take a day off. I was still working on the road. It was pretty intense. And that's just kind of how the high tech world, that's how we work. We just work until we just work ourselves to the ground. When I had some time off in September, I asked you if I should look for something else or take some time off. You said, what are you going to do with (laughs) all of these boxes that I moved across the country that had all my thrifted plates in there? Because you had packaged them up, you boxed them up, you put them, you loaded them into the truck and you brought them here and offloaded them off the truck. Yeah. And so thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And you didn't make it easy for me to go back to look for a job. You literally wanted me to do something. I'm actually kind of curious because I share that story, but I don't know why. Like why? Let's talk about it. It was really frustrating for me to see you go through the cycle. You you talk about having this mother's guilt, and I don't understand it, really, where you go off and you work. You're, you know, you have really good jobs in, in high tech, and you're moved, climbing up the corporate ladder, but you also had this mother's guilt of not having enough time home with the children. And I just... I saw that kind of agony that you were going through and yeah, the money's great when you're making that money working in tech, but what's the sacrifice that the family is making is not having you at home. Right. And so we got to this point again where, okay, I didn't want to see the cycle. I wanted to break the cycle and say, you know what? Not that I I was totally fine. If you were just going to go take a break and go on vacation or, you get some me time in, but you were talking about this for quite some time that it was a dream of yours. And we've had, we've been taking care of mom and dad. And I said, you know what? Now is as good a time as any to not only spend time with your mom, but have our children spend time with our grandma and share this time together. So we can at least start documenting her recipes because mom can make, I don't know how she does it, but you give her just 30 minute heads up, she'll whip up a five course meal out of <laughs> like, I don't even know. Like I, I open the refrigerator and I see veggies and some, I don't know, seafood. I mean, it, things that I, you know, when I, <laughs> when I was a bachelor, it was easy. It was just Coke, beer, and you know, some just basic things. <laughs> but with mom, like she'll go to a grocery store, she'll come home, she'll just jam pack that fridge. I can't even open it and, identify what are some of those things and how am I supposed to make a meal out of that? I'm used to frozen TV dinners and ice cream, right? Those are easy for me, but mom, I don't know how she does it. She'll whip it up within 30 minutes. Great tasting. She'll make sure there's a little sweet, a little salty. She'll have a soup. She'll have a main dish, mm-hmm. an entree. And I know that's something in the, in the previous podcast, something that you, when we were talking about the new rich, that that was something that you were used to growing up. You probably didn't appreciate it as much as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't appreciate it, but I really appreciate it now having her here and helping us just whip up meals like that. And, and so I wanted you to take the opportunity now to slow down. That's the reason why we moved out, was to slow down to being able to raise our own food the way that we want to, with that way we know absolutely what our animals ate and how we grew our own fruits and vegetables with no spray so that we would know that what we're putting into our bodies is absolutely healthy, that it's nutrient dense. So I wanted you to take this opportunity to capturing all these recipes from mom, documenting it. I want to say that over the last decade, I've had two really good mentors in the kitchen. One is mom, who's played a significant role in giving me hands-on training with her and refining these recipes to be more of a nourishing tradition style, Asian cooking. And there's been Sally Fallon from that yellow book, the Nourishing Traditions book, where I flipped 
inside and outside just to understand how we should eat. Because of Sally, I was approached by Chelsea Green, who heard our story and heard our passion behind the story and approached me with a book deal to write a nourishing Asian traditions inspired cookbook. We are still deciding the title, so until that's confirmed, I will share that out. I've been working on this project since you gave me the green light in September, and it was supposed to be just until December. (laughs) I wanted just 90 days to just document all of mom's recipes, get them printed and out into a book. And when I talked to Sally about it, she was like, you're not going to get that out by Christmas. That my next Christmas, maybe, but not this Christmas. I don't think we were on the same page because I was thinking I just wanted to write a cookbook for my family (laughs) so that I could hand it down to my children. But I think Sally and Chelsea Green saw a bigger vision. In September, I started working on the cookbook. In October, I started my conversation with Chelsea Green. And by November, I signed a book deal and I had until February 15th to turn in the full manuscript. So I only gave myself until December because, you know, savings. <laughs> and it's been now, what, six, seven months, eight months now of working on the book. So finances are pretty tight. But this has been a passion project of mine for a decade. And I think the timing had to be now. I think that if I tried to work on it 10 years ago, who knows? The exciting news is Sally is writing the preface for the new cookbook, which is so exciting. And I'm so thrilled to have her support. So I'm super excited and super proud of what you're doing. But for those who don't know who Chelsea Green is, what kind of publishing company they are, Mm. why don't you talk a little bit about the publishing company and some of the books that they've published and how they align with your book. Chelsea Green Publishing is the only company I would have chosen to go with, mainly because half of our books in our library is Chelsea Green books. So so they're books with no pictures. Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> there are my kind of books. They're like encyclopedias. They are very much heavy research based and very brainy, what you would say nerdy content, which I love. And like in the previous episodes, you just have to come up and back it up with data. But some other published um, Chelsea Green authors are Sandor Katz with The Art of Fermentation and Wild Fermentation, Sean and Beth Doherty that I just spoke alongside with on stage at the Women's Homesteading Conference. They wrote The Independent Farmstead. There is David Asher, The Art of Natural Cheese Making, so using raw dairy, raw milk, and making raw cheese. There's also... The Koji Alchemy from She and Umansky. And there's so many more from Garden Amendments, Bio Amendments, other books on regenerative farming. What was most important to me is that the company is based in the U.S. and prints in the U.S. I did not want to have the book printed internationally or overseas. Just a matter of values and where we stand in terms of supporting not just our local community, but our country. Okay, so what was your parents' reaction when you told them May 22nd? Well, when I told them May 22nd, my mom said, come again, what date? And I said, May 22nd. And she said, do you know that that is a very significant date for our family? I said, I didn't know. She said that that was the day that my parents moved from Seattle to California when they were in Vietnam and landed in the United States. They had a family that was a sponsor in Seattle for our whole family. And the day that my parents started to build out their career path, they moved down to California and that date was May 22nd. It was also a date that my mom's younger brother, my uncle, That was the day that he actually stepped foot in the United States from Vietnam as well. It was the date that my grandfather, who said, eat to live, do not live to eat. That was the date that he passed. 
and it's kind of a hmm. it's a it's an honorary day yeah and i'm excited to be able to have such a significant day for our pre-order launch for the book that that's really cool though i i that tie in with your family and with that date just a date alone may 22nd whether it they it does they do hit that date the the mere fact that they chelsea green said it was going to be on that date and there's so many significant events that occurred for the family on that day like big moments that's really special in this podcast episode started off talked about my favorite topic ice cream but just wanted to talk about how what we grew up knowing or taught about food was incorrect and we only realize that now which is why we're trying to teach our children what right looks like and why we're went from high tech to low tech and we are homesteading let me just say that startup founders and farmers share very similar attributes. We still have the grit, the determination, yeah. and the resolve to solve problems every single day. And Absolutely. they are hard problems. Yeah. It just smells a little different. It smells a lot different. <laughs> Super excited about your book. If you're interested in signing up for the updates, latest updates, mm-hmm. sign up on our Substack. Subscribe to our Substack, and that is basically our email list to get exclusive updates on what's coming, including exclusive offers as we prep for the pre-order. Our link is down below, but you can go to sprinklewithsoil.substack.com and sign up there for exclusive offers and find out when we have our pre-order link. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it out to your friends and hit the subscribe button below. We've enjoyed our time here with you and look forward to speaking with you next time. Thanks, everyone.